0: Today's Sunday, August 27th, 2023, and this is 5 at 8. With you today are Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about the importance of investing in oil and gas production while accelerating the energy transition to combat greenhouse gas emissions. We'll also discuss the economic struggles in China and their potential impact on the U.S. economy. Additionally, we'll cover the ongoing war between Ukraine and Russia, the successful launch of SpaceX's Dragon spacecraft, and the guilty plea of the director of a London-based auction house for the illegal sale of rare ancient coins. Stay tuned for all the news of the day. Story number one. BP CEO Bernard Looney has emphasized the importance of investing in both oil and gas production and accelerating the energy transition to combat greenhouse gas emissions, as reported by Reuters. He stated that global gas prices surged last year due to supply disruptions, leading to increased energy spending and a shift towards coal. Looney highlighted the need for an orderly energy transition to maintain progress in reducing emissions. BP plans to invest a significant portion of its capital in energy transition projects, with a target of 40% by the mid-2020 SS and 50% by the end of the decade. The company has also made investments in India's gas sector and electric vehicle infrastructure. Has anyone else noticed how BP's CEO Bernard Looney is trying to have his cake and eat it too? Look, I'm all for energy transition and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But let's not forget that we still need oil and gas to keep the lights on. This dual investment approach seems like a practical solution to me.
1: I hear you, Mark. But I can't fully agree. BP's dual investment approach is, in principle, an acknowledgement of the urgency of climate change. But the idea of investing in oil and gas to avoid price spikes could present a serious conflict. You see, it risks prolonging our dependency on fossil fuels and delaying the energy
0: transition. Well, Linda, I think we need to view this from a broader perspective. The reality is we're not ready to fully transition to renewable energy yet. And while we're getting there, wouldn't it be better to ensure stability in our energy supply and the economy? I mean, look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine. It's a clear example of how geopolitical issues can disrupt energy supplies and economies.
1: I understand your point, Mark. But this could also be seen as a clear indication that we need to accelerate our transition to renewables. The less dependent we are on fossil fuels the less vulnerable we are to these geopolitical disruptions. And let's not forget, the climate crisis is also a crisis of economic and social justice. We need to ensure a just transition that doesn't leave anyone behind.
0: I agree with you there, Linda. Ensuring a just transition is crucial. But we can't ignore the immediate needs. The approach that BP is trying to take, it's not a perfect solution, but it's a practical one for the situation we're in right now.
1: Fair enough, Mark. But we must ensure that the practical doesn't become an excuse for inaction or slow progress on the energy transition. We can't afford to lose sight of the bigger picture, the pressing need to mitigate climate change.
0: Story number two. China's economic struggles, including a significant drop in growth, real estate company failures, and declining consumer confidence, have raised concerns about the impact on the U.S. economy. However, Experts suggest that the current implications for the U.S. are limited due to China's limited role as a customer for American goods and the minor connections between their financial systems. A potential collapse in China's economy could have a more significant impact if it drags down the global economy. The U.S. has played a role in China's troubles by reducing imports and imposing tariffs, which has weakened Chinese factories. While an export surge from China could lower consumer goods prices and help lower inflation in the U.S., it could also counteract efforts to revive American manufacturing. The U.S.-China trade relationship is not heavily dependent on U.S. exports to China, but American companies such as Tesla and Apple could be affected by China's economic downturn. However, the impact on U.S. institutions and investors is likely to be limited due to the separate banking systems. There may even be some upside for American companies if Chinese investors move more money into the U.S. Geopolitically, a faltering China may lose its attractiveness as a trading partner, and countries may turn back to international lending institutions. The uncertain economic condition of China could also affect its willingness to undertake military adventures. While China's economic structure is debated, some experts remain optimistic that the government will take action to address potential crises. Who would have thought we'd be discussing a potential economic downturn in China, right? Looking at the numbers, it seems China's growth rate has slipped from a solid 8% annually to a meager 3%. Now that's a big deal for an economy second only to the U.S.
1: It's significant. But it's interesting to note that despite this downturn, the implications for the U.S. seem minor at this stage. Given the limited role China plays as a customer for American goods and the minor connections between the country's financial systems, the fallout currently appears contained.
0: Yes, Linda. But as with any economic shift, there's always a ripple effect. If China's current economic instability worsens into a full-blown collapse, it could drag down an already slowing global economy. The U.S. might not be immune to that.
1: True, Mark. One aspect that stands out for me is the possibility of China falling back on encouraging exports to foster growth, Now, if that happens, it might lower the prices for consumer goods in the U.S., which could be a potential balm for inflation. However, it could also counteract efforts to rejuvenate American manufacturing.
0: That's a great point, Linda. It's a delicate balance, isn't it? On one hand, cheaper goods could help consumers, but on the other, it could hurt our own industries. And let's not forget the possible geopolitical implications of a faltering China.
1: If China appears less mighty, it may lose its attractiveness in a fracturing world. And then there's the wild card of geopolitics. A shaky economy could potentially make China less likely to undertake military adventures. But again, these are speculative scenarios.
0: It's a complex, interconnected world. One thing's certain, though. A faltering Chinese economy could lead to some interesting shifts in global power dynamics. Story number three. According to The Washington Post... Kiev has been attempting to bring the ongoing war into Russia, claiming responsibility for strikes on Russian military assets. Recently, a drone was shot down in the Moscow region, leading to the suspension of flights at three major airports. Russia's defense ministry blamed Ukraine for the attack, but Ukrainian authorities have not yet responded. Both countries have engaged in drone attacks against each other, with Kiev targeting Moscow and Russia bombarding Ukrainian grain storage depots. Kiev also claimed to have destroyed a Russian S-400 missile defense system in Crimea and carried out drone attacks on Russian air bases. This news about drone attacks in Russia and Ukraine, it's like something out of a sci-fi movie. I mean, it's incredible how technology has changed the face of warfare, isn't it?
1: It's fascinating yet deeply unsettling. Drones, as we know, have revolutionized military operations, allowing for strikes at a distance without direct human involvement. But in the wrong hands they can also become weapons of destruction.
0: True, Linda. And what strikes me is how these drones are bringing the war into each other's territories. It's not just about the front lines anymore. These attacks on military assets far behind enemy lines, they're a game-changer.
1: It's the depersonalization of warfare that concerns me. With drones, the enemy is not a person you see face-to-face but a target on a screen. It raises serious ethical questions. Like... Who takes the blame when an innocent civilian is killed in a drone strike?
0: Yeah, it's a real conundrum. And it's not just the ethics. I'm thinking about the costs of this drone warfare. These things ain't cheap. And then there's the potential for an arms race with countries scrambling to develop counter-drone technologies.
1: Absolutely. And let's not forget the implications for civilian safety. The fact that drones can penetrate deep into enemy territory means that no place is truly safe. It's a sobering
0: thought. It sure is, Linda. But you know, despite all these issues, I can't help but think that these drones, they're also an opportunity. An opportunity for countries to defend themselves without putting their soldiers in harm's way. Wouldn't you agree?
1: That's a valid point, Mark. But it's a double-edged sword. The same technology that can protect our servicemen and women can also be used to inflict harm on innocent civilians. It's a complex issue with no easy solutions.
0: Story number four. In a report from Al Jazeera, SpaceX's Dragon spacecraft has successfully launched its eighth crewed flight, carrying four astronauts from the U.S., Denmark, Japan, and Russia to the International Space Station, ISS. The Crew-7 mission, commanded by American Jasmine Mogbelli, lifted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. After docking at the ISS, the crew will spend six months on board, conducting various science experiments. This launch marks the seventh rotation of the ISS crew since 2020, and highlights the ongoing cooperation between the US and Russia in space exploration. Can we just take a moment to appreciate the enormous step forward this SpaceX launch represents? We've got astronauts from the US, Denmark, Japan, and Russia all working together on this mission. It's like a real-life model of international cooperation happening right there in space.
1: And it's not just about the collaboration between different nations. There's also a significant shift in the nature of space exploration. With SpaceX, a private organization leading this mission, it's clear that the gateways to space aren't controlled solely by government agencies anymore.
0: Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, Linda. It's all about entrepreneurship and innovation driving progress. NASA turning to SpaceX for the taxi service, it's like a nod of approval for the private sector's role in space exploration.
1: Indeed, but it's important to remember that this shift also triggers new challenges. While the privatization of space missions opens up new opportunities, it also requires careful oversight to ensure ethical boundaries and safety standards aren't compromised.
0: True, Linda. And talking about safety, it's worth remembering that this is the first space mission for Jasmine Mogbally and Konstantin Borisov. They're stepping into the unknown, in a sense. And that kind of courage and determination deserves our respect.
1: It's a testament to their dedication and passion. And it's not just about the adventure. The science experiments they'll be conducting aboard the ISS, like studying if microorganisms can survive and reproduce in space could lead to significant breakthroughs.
0: Absolutely! This is why I'm always excited by technological advancements. The possibilities are endless, and who knows? This mission might just take us one step closer to understanding life beyond Earth.
1: It's fascinating indeed. And, looking at the broader picture, the representation of different nationalities in this crew could potentially have diplomatic implications as well. Space, it seems is becoming a common ground where nations can come together, much like the international collaborations we've seen historically in space exploration.
0: Story number five. Richard Beale, the director of London-based auction house Roma Numismatics, has pleaded guilty to charges related to the illegal sale of rare ancient coins. Beale admitted to two counts of conspiracy and three counts of criminal possession of stolen property. He was accused of falsifying the provenance of valuable coins, including the gold Ed Mar coin, which sold for $4.19 million in 2020. The investigation was prompted by a BBC News Arabic documentary that uncovered the suspicious origin of silver Alexander the Great Decadracums sold by Roma numismatics. The coins were believed to be part of the Gaza hoard discovered by fishermen in the Palestinian territory. Beal admitted to knowing the provenances were false and continuing to sell the coins despite being questioned by the BBC. He also admitted to selling the Idmar coin without proper documentation. In a report from the BBC, it is stated that the maximum sentence for these crimes is 25 years in prison. Why, Linda? This recent case of the British auctioneer selling ancient coins illegally is downright disheartening. It's like watching somebody selling off pieces of our shared human history to the highest bidder. No thoughts about the cultural and historical significance of these artifacts.
1: Yes. The audacity of falsifying the provenance of these coins, it's... It's not just a violation of trust. It's a theft of cultural heritage. And there's an ethical dimension to this as well. The Gaza hoard from where these coins originated wasn't just some buried treasure. It's an invaluable window into our past a testament to the rich history of the region.
0: Yes, Linda. And you know, this is not just a one-off incident. There's an entire black market out there for illicit antiquities. It's a business, a dirty one, fed by war, looting, and unfortunately, collectors who are willing to turn a blind eye to the provenance of the artifacts.
1: Right, Mark. And the consequences go beyond the loss of these artifacts. The countries of origin, like Greece and Italy in this case... They're being robbed of their cultural heritage. It's a part of their national identity that's being sold off illegally.
0: Now that's a point well made, Linda. And it's not just about the national identity. It's also about the loss of potential knowledge. These artifacts, in their original context, could provide invaluable insights into our ancestors, their lives, their societies. But once they're out of the ground and into the black market, that context is lost forever.
1: That's exactly it, Mark. And you know... That's why laws and international agreements are in place to protect these artifacts. But the enforcement, it's a whole different story. We need a global commitment to stop this illicit trade from auction houses conducting due diligence to collectors insisting on clear provenance. And we need to ensure that any stolen artifacts are repatriated to their countries of origin.
0: Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's high time we gave the past the respect it deserves. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: 5 at 8 is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.